Good evening from Knoxville, Tennessee, the Food City Center, I believe we're called here. Uh, it's Der Jeremy Warner, Derek Piper, Alana Inquirer Podcast, going live here on our YouTube channel. And thanks to all our podcast listeners out there as well. But Derek, they couldn't double dip this weekend. It was a really competitive, fun first half. Illinois takes a 36-34 lead at number 17, Tennessee. Then just became a, a terrible college basketball game. 31 fouls, 48 free throws in the second half. The refs lost control of this one, and it just was ugly. Uh, but Illinois not able to pull it out because uh, their stars did not perform all that well. Terrence Chan at 5 of 16, did end up with 22 points, a lot at the free throw line. But Marcus Tomask, after his career best game, goes 2 for 11 for just six points. Big performances for Quincy Garrier, 22 points. Coleman Hawkins, some ups and downs in this one, but he really helped, 12 points. Uh, four assists in this one, and Luke Goody was pretty solid off the bench with eight points and seven rebounds. But, Derek, uh, Tennessee's a pretty good team, and this is a tough place to get a win. What was your major takeaway here? Yeah, probably that. I think that Tennessee's pretty darn good, uh, despite having three losses. Obviously, they went through a gauntlet there playing Purdue, Kansas, and then at North Carolina. But uh, it felt like they needed this one to get back on track in terms of where they were expecting to be as a preseason top 10 team. And this building's been one of the, the tougher ones to get a win. When you look around the country, I think they're now, I know they're now 19 and two in the last 21 against high major teams uh, in this in this building. So uh, I knew it was going to be a tough one for Illinois, 21,000 strong, and it was a good environment. Um, yeah, it is unfortunate that it, it kind of got to that in the second half where I think the game was called a little bit more, obviously ticky-tack, and uh, it was a physical ball game in the first half too, just not as many, many whistles that kind of let them play through it. So, uh, that I get the frustrations of fans who who say that it it got really got out of hand and, and really disrupted the flow. And even Coleman Hawkins talking about, hey, it was just kind of hard to to get in the rhythm within this game. But um, there's no doubt that Illinois, you know, shot too many threes. I think um, I know that Tennessee kind of makes you do that with the way they defend and, and defend the rim and aggressive in the gaps and, and taking away Shannon uh, going downhill. So uh, Tennessee did a far better job of moving the ball and executing. Uh, having different guys uh, take it off the dribble and obviously Dalton Connect had a really nice stretch there that kind of regained control for Tennessee and then they, they cruised on from there and, and had Illinois at arm's length down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, when he scores 21 and Shannon, I know he ends up with 22, but uh, got some some garbage time points laid and was five for 16 from the field. Like you said, the mass two for 11. And uh, I, I thought the Coleman was, performance was very encouraging. I thought Quincy Garrier's Performance is encouraging as well, and even Lou Goody, especially in the first half, but uh, not enough to get a win in a tough building on the road. And uh, nothing that you really feel too bad about, but it would have been a nice extra uh, helping yeah. of, a, of a quad one win and what this win could have meant. But uh, you can learn from this one, and uh, all in all, two and one during this last three-game stretch, I think you'll take it. Yeah, let's hit on the referee point. Um, a lot of people know I don't love focusing on that, but they changed the game in the second half. I, I didn't. We didn't get to see a replay. The internet was terrible here, so we didn't have our YouTube TV on. Uh, so I didn't get to see the hook and hold on Ty Rogers. A lot of people were telling me it was a bad call, so I didn't see that one. But it certainly the tide changed a little bit on that. But Illinois did foul a lot. They were reaching. They were caught reaching, but. There was a lot more ticky-tack compared to what they called in the first half, right? Like the first half, I love. They let them play. It was a physical game. There's sometimes Illinois. You thought maybe they'd get a call, but they weren't calling it for Tennessee either. And I do think Tennessee was forcing the action, too. Like, they were getting fouls called because they were being aggressive, attacking the rim. Uh, Shannon figured that out a little bit too late, I thought, in the game. I thought he, more than anybody, probably settled a little bit on some of these contested 
mid-range jumpers or really long twos that I don't think Illinois wants him taking. Um, but they also just miss shots. Like they've had open shots and Damas didn't make his goody airballed a couple of them. Uh, Coleman Hawkins missed some. Like um, I, I'm not too discouraged because the fact that you were in this game, Derek and Damask had that game, Shannon had that game, uh, and you still had you know, competitive game. It's just it's a shame that what I thought was a great first half, like a great college basketball game, turned into sometimes what I hate about college basketball when it just becomes a free throw contest and there's no rhythm. It doesn't feel like a college basketball game. So that that's what I hated about this. Second half just didn't feel like it lived up to what the billing of this one should have been. No, I 100 percent agree with that. I, mean, I know that Tennessee had one of those against Purdue as well. Uh, really uh, yeah. a wrestling match and a, and a free throw contest. And to the Vols credit, like they definitely got downhill more effectively. They forced Illinois to be in positions to to contact them, to foul them, and and maybe it was. And again, those that had the the access to replay have a, a better idea on, on some calls for sure. But Illinois, at noticing the way the game was being called in the second half, could have, and like you said, didn't until later attack attack off the dribble and try to create some of those for themselves. I know that the free throw disparity. Well, it really wasn't that big. I mean, 34 for Tennessee and 28 for Illinois. But uh, there was a long stretch really as that game became a, a double-digit disadvantage and, and whatnot. Illinois was taking a large chunk of their shots from three and just really settling for jump shots and uh, not going downhill. So I, I thought that was one area you could nitpick Illinois. I also thought that uh, second-chance opportunities for Tennessee led to – both points and then fouls when they got the ball uh, there at the rim and, and whatnot. So uh, that was an area where Illinois just seemed to be getting beat on 50-50 balls. And I know that was something that Brad addressed uh, in the in the post game as well that he was disappointed with. And early on in the game too, I, you know, Tennessee just attacking Illinois off the bounce. So now I, I give Tennessee credit because they were moving the ball really well. They're running some good stuff offensively. They're cutting and whatnot. But uh, Illinois – had a hard time really containing the the dribble drive. Scovy, Scovy was awesome. Like he was Scobie just he was really just good. tearing Illinois apart. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, a first teamer in the SEC last year hadn't been playing his best uh, going into this one. He obviously stepped up, and uh, they got a nice balanced attack. Uh, Tennessee did, and uh, I felt like the the better team today won. Like it, I do think that I know if this is played in Champaign, is Illinois, uh, you know, get that one done. I, I could see that happening for sure, but uh, I do think that you know Tennessee probably. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like they outplayed Illinois for sure. They were more physical. They uh, executed better offensively, and, and Illinois, if they would have made some some more some more of those shots, then uh, it could have been a different story. But thirty six threes for the most part isn't going to be a, a recipe for this team to to win a lot of games. There are three games Illinois has shot more threes than twos. This was one of them. Thirty six threes to twenty nine twos. Marquette was another. 33 threes to 27 twos. Um, listen, they're open, but maybe there's a reason they're open, like, right? Like, I, I think that's what was so impressive about that Ford Atlantic win, Derek, was no one was so disciplined in not just settling for those. And um, listen, Tennessee's a better defensive team, I think, than Ford Atlantic, right? Like, they're, they're bigger, they're course, physical. Yeah. They really got into gaps. Um, they're, they're really – I thought this was a great test for Illinois' offense after what was such a great offensive performance. And I think they'll learn a lot from that. But I do think there was probably – eight to 10 of them that you probably would not like to have shot. Like when they go back and look at the film and until I make nine of them, if you make 13 of them, maybe you feel a little bit different and you make some of the open ones, maybe you feel a little bit different. But um, I, I did feel like that was, that was a setback for that offense. I thought that's why Tennessee 
which how many threes did they shoot? Uh, 18 for the entire game. Uh, and they dominated points in the paint in this one, 38 to 24. Uh, I thought they were just more disciplined on offense and doing what they want to do. It felt like Illinois just kind of settled at times. No doubt. Yeah, I think it did highlight again that if Shannon's not being able to go downhill, does Illinois have another guy that's really going to be able to, to get in the lane, get into the paint, break down a defense, and force those actions to where they got to collapse and it, it gets open shots for their guys? Not that Illinois – didn't have opportunities on – I mean, they had plenty of kick-out opportunities and uh, swing passes, skip passes that guys would end up taking threes. But you want that ball to get into the teeth of the defense and, and force them to react. And, and to the Tennessee's credit, I mean, they're top ten, top five in the country in defensive efficiency for a reason, have been really the last three or four years uh, under Rick Barnes. But uh, as they contain Shannon, Illinois, it, it highlighted again outside of him, you know, you're not – you weren't getting that. I mean, Gary A had a couple of slashes to the rim. I, I credit him for that. Uh, I really like that about him, and it's something I didn't necessarily know that how advanced that part of his game was coming into Illinois. I feel like he's got that in him. Uh, Marcus just – he didn't have a good night. And uh, the mid-post stuff, I thought there was some – it wasn't as effective as maybe as it should have been when you have some of those those matchups. He a few times had uh, Ziggler on him and, and wasn't able to, to yeah. do a ton with that. So. Uh, I also didn't feel like the Illinois spaced him well enough. Like it felt like Coleman was kind of hanging out, uh, you know, not too far away from him. So it didn't fully isolate that side of the floor. Um, things that they can obviously look at and, and try to work on. But um, there aren't going to be many teams that can bottle up Terrence Shannon like that. But, you know, they, they successfully did it. And it definitely hindered Illinois um, in terms of the effect uh, outside of that. Yeah, when your two best players shoot seven for 27, one for 11 from three, just probably not going to win. Like, that's, that's, that's like the analysis for this one. Like, but if that's the case, you're probably not going to win the game. I do think there's some encouraging things from this game, Derek. Um, the fact that you had the lead at half, despite Shannon and Domask, you know, having what, six points at halftime combined. Uh, but Quincy Garrier. You're seeing, I think in the last couple of weeks here, you're seeing a supporting cast around Terrence Shannon that can actually support him to get the most out of what is probably an All-American player. Marcus Domask, what he did at FAU, and now Quincy Garrier with a season-high 22 points, just five points off his career high. That's got to be a huge confidence booster for a guy whose wrist had been bothering him to you know come into the game two for 20 from three. They're not guarding you from three. And to make three in the first half, I thought was – a really big boost to Illinois. And if he can shoot 30% plus from three, uh, that's just going to open things up more for this offense, whether it's him making them or it's opening up uh, the lanes for Domask and Shannon, right? Um, especially if Coleman Hawkins can make three threes or multiple threes in a game like he did today. I thought Coleman, you know, at the end of the game, didn't shoot all that well. Four of 13 for the game, three of 10 from three. Probably settled for a few there. Continues to take some that you want back. But I thought he was a reason you had a chance in the second half. Like he was really good he was really impactful uh and then Luke Goody off the bench just energy guy eight points seven rebounds made a couple threes uh, I thought your supporting cast showed up and helped those guys and, and gave you a chance it's just at some point you needed Damask and uh Shannon to, to, to take over and they just never were really able to do that until it was kind of out of hand and they just kept making free throws but Gary A that that's really encouraging uh, for Illinois and, and to have Coleman Hawkins back last week it is it is showing on the court no doubt yeah it's big for Quincy um to be able to find that three-point shot, a guy that shot 35% from three last year at Oregon has been someone that has improved every year in terms of his efficiency from beyond the arc. Now, this year, obviously, the, the slow start is probably going to 
hinder his overall stats, and, and we'll see if he can find a consistency from beyond the arc. But uh, like to see him get some confidence back in that shot. And then just, yeah, when you saw them, as far as Tennessee's defense, then kind of reacting to it, then he shows the ability to shot fake and drive it. And he's a physical guy going downhill, uh, and obviously not as – as twitchy or ability to change direction like a, a Terrence Shannon, but as a straight line driver off a pump fake driving to close out, like he can go in there and hunt some contact and get to the free throw line. I mean, he's five for seven at the line today uh, on the quick bright side too. Also, I mean, no one's shooting free throws better. Uh, so there is that yes. 24 for 28. Um, the that, right guys are cool. shooting them and, and Ty's making them few now. Like that's huge. Yeah. Three or four for Ty Rogers. He's made seven of his last 10. He'll take that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it just feels like, yeah, this supporting cast is is better than obviously last year. Uh, they're older. Uh, they got an ability to support your star power a lot better. Uh, I feel like with, with Quincy, uh, I think Justin Harmon, obviously against FAU. And uh, yeah, Luke Goody in the first half in particular, what do you have, like five or six rebounds in the 10 minutes that he played in the, in the first half? And that was huge. Uh, and then, you know, he's been someone that you expect to make a couple of threes any given night. And, and yeah, Coleman, I think his stat line probably got a little worse there late because Illinois was trying to play catch up, yeah. but his, his three ball was, was important to, to knock down those shots. And then he just, um, the play that, you know, Shannon finds a streaking Coleman and, and he makes that a great pass through the, the, the defense. And that's just a hustle play by, by Coleman. He also has, he has four assists of his own and a couple of steals. He was just very active and, just felt like it was a, a step forward for him as he's getting more comfortable and, and, and finding himself again and hopefully uh, getting that confidence because we can say it over and over again. It's true. He can, he can just take this team to another level if he's playing up to his capabilities. All right, we'll get to your questions about the Atlanta basketball loss. We will talk a little bit about the new Illinois football graduate transfer, not graduate transfer, transfer defensive line addition, Anise Sledge, who has – three years of eligibility left uh, and more transfers that are on campus right now. We'll talk about that here coming up. We'll get to your questions, but first let's hear from one of our great sponsors. At home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with home field because their designs are the best out there. Some of Illini Enquirer's favorites are the basketball ringer tee, the rose tee, and the 1980s long sleeve with the script Illini. It's great. Be sure to check out homefieldapparel.com, filter by Illinois, and see what we're talking about. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Illini23. Using that code Illini23 gets you 15% off your first order. We all know you're wearing Illini gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think that you should check out Home Field Apparel, which has the best designs, and these shirts, guys, are really comfortable. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Home Field is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com and use code Illini23 for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. All right, Derek, uh, assists in this game. Illinois had nine, 21 for Tennessee. Tennessee moved the ball extremely well. Again, I, I just thought they their offense was clicking at a certain point. Stalton Connect obviously took over and shows why he's one of the best transfers and why Indiana really needed him <laughs> because he's he's a really talented scorer, potential uh, top 40 pick in the NBA draft, potential first-round draft pick. But uh, Illinois didn't move the ball. They, they have gone to this matchup offense, like, they are going ISO, but it's usually Marcus Damask backing somebody down or it's Terrence Shannon going one-on-one. Listen, it worked against FAU. Didn't work as well tonight. But what do you make of, of what they're doing offensively and 
Uh, did they need to run different stuff at some point tonight? I think it's a good question. I think that they would have benefited from getting a few more stops than maybe try to play out and transition a little bit more. Don't let yeah. Tennessee's defense get set because they're, I mean, they're a high level defense, obviously high level in the half court. And when they can really load up, um, you know, in their, in their spots on the, on the lanes, it's, it's really tough uh, regardless of what you're trying to, to hit them with. I do think, I think it's a fair point for those that are saying, Hey, it, it does show that without a true point guard um, that, you know, Point guards, you know, one of their biggest skills is getting where they want to go off the bounce. And, and when you make it difficult on a team to, to slow you from getting into the pain and getting into where this defense thrives at, at making it tough. But um, I think that with Shannon having a hard time to get there and they were they were shading him like when he was coming off ball screens, which is probably why they didn't run a ton of ball screen stuff for him in the second half is they were hedging him. They were they were keeping the big out. So it was really kind of bottling him up uh, in that sense. So it was uh, then kind of ISO situations, but uh, without a point card to really get into the, the the teeth of the defense and break things down and, and facilitate. I mean, that's a big reason why you have that assist difference. And um, yeah, I mean, Marcus is bringing it up and he gets his, his pocket pick a, a couple of times because uh, he's not, he's not a true point. And, you know, Ty is just, Ty doesn't attempt a shot, uh, and he I know he has two assists, three points, two assists, one turn, but he, he's just very limited offensively for being your quote-unquote point guard. So uh, I think that's part of it too. Obviously, uh, as much as we're going to come back to that, you know, for as much or little as we do the rest of the year, Illinois is not going to probably figure that thing out. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But uh, I do think it's a, it's a credit to Tennessee, I think, for the most part over the – the three-game sample size, Illinois did take strides forward offensively on, on the big picture. Like having Damask in the mid post as being a, a a staple of your offense, I think is a big deal. I think teams, for the most part, will have a hard time dealing with that. I think Terrence, obviously downhill, not many teams can can bottle him up like that. I, I think for Quincy to do what he did tonight, for Coleman to to get going a little bit, uh, that those are all positives for an Illinois offense. That you know, I, I think they're. I was looking at their Kempom. They're top 25 offensive efficiency now after, you know, before this stretch, yep. they were in, in the sixties. Yeah. The number 23, uh, their defense down to number 15, Derek. And I wanted to ask you this, uh, Fort Atlantic 1.19 points per possession, Tennessee 1.16. Is this defense as good as we thought it was, or are these just two great teams that they were on? Uh, I think, I still think they're pretty good defensively. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're elite. Uh, I think that, We'll obviously have to see a bigger sample size to, yep. to prove that out. I think they do have some very, very good individual defenders. Uh, Terrence, Ty on the perimeters. I think, you know, Quincy with his physicality. We know that Coleman's got the ability to, to cover a lot of ground and, and be an impactful defender against uh, some really good players. But uh, I think defensive rebounding is something they need to take another step forward with to really um, separate themselves between being – very good and potentially great at that end. You can't let teams get those second chance points. Uh, and that's kind of been a, something that some of these teams, even in the last two games, have been able to to get is some of those loose balls, those 50-50s. Uh, Illinois has to cut that out. And then when you have when you have teams like Marquette, and I think Tennessee did a good job of it too, when you got a number of different guys that can drive you, I think that kind of can exploit Illinois. I think, you know, yeah. Luke Goody's not a – a great defender, especially in space, uh, I think against, you know, some 
some guys with some downhill ability off the bounce and, and Marcus DeMass, same thing. So uh, I think there are, and then Dane, I know people probably want to talk about him a little bit on playing four minutes. He's also who I kind of throw in there as a weak link. I think Illinois has a couple of weak links or, or at least just maybe average defenders at best and, and can be exploited a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, this is still a pretty good, very good defense. Just maybe, you know, obviously not the same as, as Tennessee, if you're asking me, uh, in terms of, you know, elite. We knew Coleman Hawkins' return would impact Dane Danger's minutes uh, significantly. He played eight minutes against Rutgers, Dane Danger, 11 against Fort Atlantic, four tonight against Tennessee. A lot of people calling for more Dane. I will say that Brad Underwood said after the game, I have to find more ways to get Coleman and Dane together, which I found interesting. Probably hard to do with the way Quincy was playing tonight, and I do think Coleman was the better option. Like uh, For anybody that thinks Coleman is not the better option, I just don't know where you're watching. I will continue to repeat that over and over again. He is so impactful defensively, and I think he spaces things out offensively. I thought he could have been more aware of where he was for some of those with Marcus, like you were talking about, but um, I think he makes a better overall impact. But do you think Dane will get worked in here more? Do you think there's a, an argument to, to work him in a little bit more? Because we know – he is one of their better offensive players one-on-one. I think he's going to. Like, as you look at the schedule, Colgate, Missouri, uh, you know, things soften up a little bit. Uh, FDU, he, he should be able to get some opportunities uh, to, to play some some bigger minutes. But um, Dane's got to be more solid. I thought early on he was he was pretty decent. You know, had a, had a block, uh, then was able to have a second and a third effort on the offensive glass to really put one in there. Uh, to follow his own miss, and I, I thought his his time was it, it was short. Uh, he looked fine. He, he looked fine out there. Uh, he's got to he does have to cut down on turnovers. He got pegged for one on a moving screen. I don't know if that was his fault or if that was Terrence going too soon uh, on that one. But it's really just as you look back at the FAU game and just some of what's plagued Dane is is not simplifying offensively, trying to do too much. You know, being someone that's dribbling for the Rutgers game too, dribbling too much for a big man. And uh, he does limit you defensively for sure. But uh, he is a, a a guy you can go to for a bucket. He's, he's another scoring avenue in terms of throwing it down to him inside. He does hit the uh, offensive glass um, a decent amount to be able to do that as well. Uh, I don't know that this game necessarily goes differently with Dane I, in terms of trying to throw it inside against a physical team. Um, and, and Dane just hasn't played all that great. But, yeah, four minutes, I understand people maybe wanting more of that. But Dane's got to play better to, to earn a consistent mm-hmm. role on this team. And uh, that's still something he has to, to to achieve. I asked Brad Underwood after the game what he learned about his team, Derek. And he said, we're really good. They feel really confident about this team, even after this loss. Like He, he goes, you know I don't say that very often. Like he is – he feels good about this team. And he – he knows they haven't arrived yet, but I think they learned a lot against Marquette that maybe they weren't ready for that win, Derek, but uh, they learned that they weren't ready, and here's what you have to do offensively to be a little bit better. They've improved since that game, uh, and that showed against Rutgers, and, and I would even say today in Fort Atlantic, obviously, but um, now what do you think they can learn from this game? Because Brad Underwood obviously thinks they haven't even come close to their ceiling yet. Yeah, I think that you are going to learn that there's some things you got to do when a team's going to try to take away Terrence and it can successfully do that and how you pivot away from that, how you get some more playmaking off the dribble to create some shots for other guys, how many amount of threes you want to be able to take and, and what shots are, are ones that are, you know, 
you're able to you're able to get, but you know maybe want to you need to work for a better one or need to find a way to get the ball inside and uh, to the paint, whether it's the post entry, uh, obviously, or or just driving it. So uh, I, I think that as we kind of talked about, I think they've added some more layers to their offense. I think they can continue to to expand there. You got to be able to keep adding, keep evolving, and, and figuring that thing out. Um, defensively, yeah, like it's. As far as the the rebounding, the loose balls, um, just cleaning up some little things. But yeah, to have seen Tennessee, Marquette, FAU, Kansas throw in the exhibition, like that's those are four high level teams that you've you've gone two and two against. I know that you're not counting the Kansas one as a, a legit win, but uh, they've had an ability to really test themselves, uh, learn about you know what what they like, what they don't, and for the most part, yeah, I, I think. This team has has obviously performed pretty well, and, and there are definitely some things to like and um, more growth areas too. I, there, there's been flashes of of Garrier or you know really Coleman to this point because of his lack of consistency in terms of playing with his his knee and knee issue. Uh, you know Justin Harmon, those are things you can build on. Uh, Luke's been good, um, so yeah, I, I think that all in all, you, you're pretty encouraged. I, I get why he's encouraged. Big picture. And uh, you just got to continue to to progress because last year's team showed some good things early. Uh, December they just they peaked. They didn't progress on and, and take the next steps. They obviously they fell off a cliff instead. Uh, so it, it's about continuing to get better over the course of the season. Uh, I'm encouraged by the progress they've made so far, but they got to obviously continue to to build on it. Yeah, and the rest of this month's important. Like Colgate has made four straight NCAA tournaments. Um, Missouri. You know, that game has been a problem in the Brad Underwood era where they've come out more physical and tougher than you and wanted the game more. Uh, and that's a high major opponent away from home. Farrow Dickinson, obviously you're going to win that one. But wrap this up 3-0 and in the non-conference, going to the meet of conference play at 10-2, and Derek. I think, I'd say that's a pretty successful non-conference where you showed you can compete with Marquette, compete with Tennessee. You can crush a Rutgers team that I'm not very high on, but you can crush them on the road in a tough place to play. And you can compete at Tennessee, a really tough place to play, and beat a team like Fort Atlantic on a neutral court. Like I think that'd be a pretty encouraging wrap up to the non-conference. But now you got to do it. Hundred percent. Yeah, you got to now avoid a loss that you're going to regret. Uh, it, any of those coming up, and Missouri is a rivalry game, um, but they're not a very good team. They're an older team, but they're obviously not not having a great year so far. Not shaping up to look like a, a surefire, you know, return to the NCAA tournament type of of uh, situation for them. So uh, you owe them, really. I mean, I know that there's some new faces uh, on Illinois side of things and, and guys like Quincy and Marcus and Justin aren't maybe going to understand or, or feel that same type of, of way. But I'm sure Terrence and, and Coleman and those guys who were involved in last year's embarrassment. I mean, you not only lost, you got embarrassed over there at Bragg and Rice that you're going to want to handle that one. So, uh, yeah, 10 and 2, if you go back into to Big Ten play, nothing to, to be ashamed about. You should feel pretty decent about it. Um, it would have been nice to get one of Marquette or Tennessee as, as that real bona fide, you know, next level win. I think FAU is a very good win. I think either one of those against Marquette or Tennessee would have been a, a great win. Uh, but you'll have yeah, because if you win, if you win, if you win one of those, Derek, you're not even worrying about NCAA tournament. Like that's not right, even. Yeah. Like as long as you go, you know, 500 in the Big Ten. Like if you have those two wins, you're you're not worried about it. But yeah, now you'd like to to get a couple more before you get more quad one wins potentially in the Big Ten. Right. Yeah. And those those are the type of game, games that could take you maybe a, a seed level or two up, you know, really, yeah. really bolster you. And, and if you're talking about a path 
in March, which I mean, that's that's really what you're working towards is that's those are the type of games that can can be real difference makers. Not that Illinois won't have opportunities to stack them in Big Ten play, uh, you know, beating Purdue, especially on the road early January would really be one that uh, would mean a lot. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't think you're you're fretting too much because you didn't take care of this one or you, you lost on your home court against Marquette, which, you know, uh, not that you're feeling great about it, but I, I do think that it's laid out to where Illinois has has been able to, you know, offensive offensively was ugly for the most part early. Um, I think they they made some strides. Uh, they they fixed some things in terms of some slow starts. Like I, I didn't think that was a problem necessarily, although defensively maybe today, but uh, just in general. But you know, they, they they look like a good team. I'm I'm still still buying them and and still think there's some things they can work on to continue to grow. Uh, any final thoughts, Derek, from Knoxville, whether it's this arena? That kind of reminds me of the Indiana Pacers arena, and, and yeah. they fit a lot of people in here, man. It was loud. Yeah. Um, Rocky Top, they play that a lot. Uh, we, we heard that early for sure. Um, but they, this place was juiced, and uh, it, it's it's huge. Yeah, I mean, 21,000, the fifth largest uh, college basketball arena. It, it delivered. It got going there, especially, you know, Dalton Connect had, what, eight of the, the 10 during their 10-0 run that – that play where you know, they get an offensive rebound and kick it out to him for three was it was a huge play uh, there middle of the second half and it just felt like they you only know, never got a lead back after that and we're, we're kind of kept at arm's length so uh, I, I wonder what it was going to be like in a, an essence SEC environment uh, in a team that has been really really good uh, over the last couple of years and it delivered uh, after we finally got here thanks to the 5K for slowing us down um, out there that uh, had had. Jeremy all all flustered and whatnot. Logistical but. nightmare. That's what I will say. Getting into this arena, but yeah, I've calmed yeah. down since then. But but it was uh it was a fun eight days to see some some meaningful games and, and get out on the road and, and see some different environments too. So uh, we need to get we need to get Derek Piper we need to get Derek Piper home though. We need, we need to get you home. Get, get you to. around Cade for a while yep. and Haley. I got to decorate my Christmas tree tomorrow. Um, get around my yeah my son my wife and. Uh, I'll, I'll enjoy that coming up for sure. All right, Derek Piper, we're going to let Joey Wagner get on here and talk some football, but thanks, man. Anytime. All right, Joey Wagner's on, uh, and I got a new pronunciation for you because uh, Illinois football has a new defensive lineman, their second transfer defensive lineman, so let's break it down. His name is Anichi, Anichi, Joey, Anichi Sledge. That is how you pronounce it according to the Auburn pronunciation guide so the Auburn defensive lineman three years of eligibility 6'2 310 pounds only played about 25 30 snaps at Auburn the last couple of years but former three-star prospect had a bunch of power five offers looks like a nose tackle to me Joey so a uh, potential Denzel Daxon replacement here but uh, a power five transfer on the defensive line they need talent on the defensive line and this guy's a talent what do you think yeah, they had – I mean, we knew that they had to replace a lot on the defensive line, and we knew it was going to come by the transfer portal. I think it's noteworthy that it, it, this has been more of a portal uh, rebuild, I, I guess temporary rebuild, rather than going to the junior college ranks, even though we know they're still active there. Uh, yeah, you, you needed someone. And I. the other part is, is this does feel like a Denzel Daxon replacement. That's a good sell that Illinois has at the nose guard. Like we talk a lot, justifiably so, about Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph and the way that they've developed. Calvin Avery played his best football of his career in his final season. Denzel Daxon came in really an under-the-radar guy from Ohio, right? A, a guy that really moved a lot of needles for people last offseason. He played really, really good football. 
And that position is one that the staff has shown it can develop. Yeah, Terrence Jameson's done a fantastic job getting the most out of Calvin Avery, right? Um, he, he's you know, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, and Denzel Dowson might have a chance uh, to, to get in the NFL camp here. So they've done a really good job with those guys. And now, you know, you got him and Clay Patterson that, you know, T. Rod Edwards, I, I believe, should be able to return for another year. So that's a good rotation, you feel, with Sledge. Uh, and Edwards, who's proven himself as a good rotational piece, I thought could have been an okay starter, solid starter for them this past year. But Daxon outplayed him. Um, and, you know, Clay Patterson from Yale comes in, should be a solid to good starter, in my opinion. Uh, and now you could probably use one more. And uh, I have on our site now another defensive lineman who is transferring. He's, he's arriving today. Um, so they've attacked that. That's their number one need, Joey, to sort of see, you know, Terrence Jameson and Brett Bioma close on those guys early. Is really encouraging because is it going to be as good as Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph? No, but you got to be competitive. And they've lost five of their top six defensive linemen uh, from last year, right? Bryce Barnes is involved in that. Sed McConnell transfers out. Um, Denzel Daxon, Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton. So they got to replenish and, and they got to add more here. But that's a, certainly been a good start so far. Yeah, they're acting urgently too, right? This isn't a case where they're letting this thing fill up and see who's available and late December or, you know, whatever the case is, they've, they've come out of the gates really swinging, identifying their guys, going out and, and getting them on campus quickly. I know Clay Patterson committed before he visited, but that we, we thought and we knew this was going to be an urgent position, but I, they've been really, really aggressive in throwing offers around out there and getting guys here, getting commitments. Uh, so I, I think the, the urgency is what we thought, but it's also telling because, look, we've talked a lot about the staff's approach in the portal. And this staff is urgently attacking the transfer portal at defensive line as it did a year ago with the quarterback. Yeah, and I think it's important. Like we've brought up and we talked in our chain mail about this. Like they need to go get more power five guys by power five transfers. I think those guys that they can get are still the guys that are looking for opportunity, right? Like Illinois' best sell is opportunity development. And Energy Sledge is buying into that. Plus, Illinois had a previous relationship here. They recruited him. He's from Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, they recruited him out of high school and had a previous relationship. So that adds up, right? A guy who wants opportunity, a previous relationship there. They can sell the development they've had on the defensive line. That lines up. Like, I don't expect Illinois to go into the portal and land the top guy out of Alabama who's already proven himself, right? They're, they're going to have to get the guy – uh, who's looking for the opportunity. So this one lines up, but they are looking at guys, you know, whether it's defensive back, defensive line, offensive line, who have played at the power five level that are looking for a better opportunity. Yeah, look, they're going to, I mean, you got a lot of snaps available in the Big Ten. Like that's as good. Sledge is 15 career snaps, I believe, Jeremy, that you wrote. Derek Piper's in here causing a scene. Um, <laughs> 15 career snaps. So, I mean, look, Illinois is going to give them a chance to, to come in there and, and I, I think we'd have to say right now, wrestle that job away from T. Ry Edwards just as going in in terms of a guy who's already been on campus for two years. But you're right. That, that's the sales. How they, it's part of the sales. Luke Altmeyer a year ago, a, a guy who needed an opportunity to come out and play. Tommy DeVito needed an opportunity for a fresh start, even though he had more you know, career snaps than, than really anybody they've, they've gone to get out of the portal. So opportunity is yeah. big, man. And that's an Illinois is really, really selling that and throwing it around. Uh, they're gonna. They're hosting a defensive back, JUCO kid, uh, Chase Canada, out, out of a JUCO. I understand everybody's apprehension, uh, or I guess I should say, like, what's the word I'm looking for here, Joey? Um, I mean, the, the recent doubts, doubts about yeah. JUCO defensive backs. The recent you know? impact has led to some of those doubts, right? Yeah. 
So like, I understand that. Impact. But he, he's he's talented. Um, but they're they're looking at some other defensive backs. They could get another defensive back uh, on campus later this uh, weekend. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, I'll throw this out there. Probably the biggest transfer, in my opinion, that's visiting this weekend uh, is offensive lineman J.C. Davis out of New Mexico. He's an all-Mountain West Conference left tackle who has one year of eligibility left but had ridiculous PFF grades this past year. Uh, what can you do at the next highest level in the Big Ten? Obviously, that's going to be an adjustment, but this is a guy who's played offensive tackle at the FBS level. Illinois does not have many of those guys. Brandon Henderson has not played tackle at this level. Uh, Zach Chrysler's got two games of it, and it didn't go very well. So that's the most important one to me because if you can come out of this weekend with two defensive linemen already, maybe a third, and a starting left tackle, that'd be a heck of a start to this transfer portal season. I, I would imagine some defensive backs will be added here in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, you overdressed your two biggest needs in the portal. That's how this weekend shapes out for Illinois. And then if, if that's how it goes, defensive backs moves into number one. And with probably not a very close second place in terms of needs that you Tight still need to address that, this yeah. offseason. Yeah, that, that would be second. I still think there's a gap between what you sure. need at defensive backs and tight ends. But yeah, to go out, if you can go out and get a left tackle, it gives you some versatility with Brandon Henderson, who you and I still think is going to be in that mix for left tackle. He can move over to right, or he could slide in at guard. There's more options there because you've got to replace Julian Pearl. You've got to replace Isaiah Adams, and that's those are a lot of snaps, a lot of really good snaps, productive snaps, and, and you need you need someone who's played at the FPS level like that. Tackles are hard to come by in the portal, man. It, it's kind of go back and like see how the NFL draft prioritizes positions. Like the transfer portal is the same way, right? Quarterback tackles edge. And like yep. those, that's what it comes down to. Uh, so if you can go out and address that need, if that's how it shakes out, that, that'd be a really big addition for Illinois if they can close it. Yeah, we know they've recruited some other power five guards, right? Uh, Remington Strickland, um, Kevin Wigginton out of Michigan State. Strickland's a former top 500 prospect out of Texas A&M. You had two guys like that to your offensive lineman with Chrysler, Henderson, Krutz, Geske, Whitenack returning. Like all of a sudden, like I feel like that offensive line could be pretty good. Like I, I think they could be pretty good going to next year. You got a little bit more depth. Um, some, I still think they need a couple more defensive linemen, need to add some defensive backs. But it uh, seems like they've set themselves up here well. And the one thing I've noticed, either talking to transfers or just seeing it, is Brett Bielma's involvement. And, and when he, you know, he set the road. He visited J.C. Davis. He visited Clay Patterson and his family in different states and different parts of the country on the same day. Like he is getting so involved, and that makes an impact when the coach calls you with an offer, when the coach visits you, when he coach visits your parents or whoever is important in your life. Like Bielma is making an impact by prioritizing guys. Um, I, I feel like that's worth mentioning here because he, he's gotten after it the last two weeks, and he needs to. Right? He has to because this is a huge, important year coming up. Uh, where everyone's going to have doubt after a five and seven season and losing some of your best players to the NFL, you got to get after it and add talent. Yeah. And we should also say, like, this isn't the first year Brett Bielman has been, I guess no. we should say, the lead recruiter on transfers. And I think you asked him about it at some point, maybe back in the spring. And, and he said, yeah, I mean, he takes over on, on those. Clayton Bush was a guy who Brett Bielman called up immediately and, and had him on the phone and, and really led the charge there. So he does. I'd have to dig up the quote. That's a good task for our drive to Louisville after this um, to just see what he said. But he, he kind of understands, it sounds like, that there's urgency with those guys. And you want to make a big impact and make a big impact early on in that recruiting process. So it's 
it is worth mentioning for sure how how active he gets and it's not to just a final point of it it's not like terrence jameson's calling clay patterson and hey i got this guy he'll give you a call like red beal is the first first voice that they hear from illinois and i think that's a really that's a statement it's not going to matter to everybody right and but but it sure resonates with, with some people and you've seen that and, and you've heard that in talking to some of these guys and who said it when they get them on official visits it's worth noticing because illinois does a pretty good job closing once they get them here like they, they they pull off official visits uh pretty well so stay tuned to line inquire we got plenty more coming up a- any final thoughts joey before we get out of here and head to louisville no i just it's worth the the urgency is really telling to me and they, they've addressed these needs very very quickly and i think that's worth mentioning a few times because this you know someone asked maybe on the last podcast or on the board said will this be wrapped up by christmas and this might be like they might they're trying to wrap this thing up by like the 15th and they're moving very very quickly here and that doesn't mean like they're shutting the transfer portal door and saying we're not looking at anything but they're they're not really waiting around they want to get these guys committed and I would assume Jeremy tried to get them here in January for, for winter conditioning in the spring ball. It is so competitive to get them on campus first, uh, to get them on campus at all, and then to close it down quickly because this is such a whirlwind. Like, the calendar is crazy for these coaches. And listen, they make a lot of money. I know. But, like, this isn't a really important time of roster building all scrunched into this. Plus, they're going out and flying and seeing all their prep prospects who are going to sign later this month. It is a really important time of roster building for Illinois football right now. All right. For Joey Wagner, Derek Piper, I'm Jeremy Warner. Thanks to everybody on the live YouTube channel. Hit the like button on the way out. Appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Uh, we got to make it halfway back to Champaign tonight. We'll make it to Louisville. We got plenty of content coming at Illini Enquirer for both Illinois basketball and Illinois football. So everybody have a great night. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. <laughs>